Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Sean Cosby, an award-winning author from Southeast Virginia. The crime fiction of Sean Cosby, who writes professionally as S.A. Cosby, has appeared in numerous anthologies and his 2019 short story, The Grass Beneath My Feet, won the Anthony Award for Best Short Story. My Darkest Prayer, his first novel, was released last year, and Cosby's latest title, Blacktop Wasteland, will be available on July 4th. 14. Chosen as one of the best books of the month and summer by everyone from Time Magazine to Amazon to the New York Times, Blacktop Wasteland arrives with glowing praise from authors Lee Child, Dennis Lehane, Jordan Harper, Rob Hart, and Walter Mosley, among others. I'm very much looking forward to talking to him today about writing and his taste in film. Welcome, Sean. So how are you doing and how are you adapting to pandemic life? <laughs> it's funny. Uh, at first, it was very, uh, very Sturm and Drang, Edgar Allan Poe, Southern Gothic, where I just I just drank a lot and lamented the fall of society. And now I'm like <laughs> growing tomatoes and, <laughs> and I, I bust. I bought some resistance bands and a jump rope, so I'm trying to make wise use of my time. So that's good. So now you're more zen. <laughs> I, yeah, at first it was very much a, it was like it was very uh, Flannery O'Connor, yeah. <laughs> and now it's more like eat, eat, pray, love, drink whiskey. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah. Well, your work has been frequently described as rural country or Southern noir, and I know you're a big movie fan. Do you have any favorites from the genre or any that might have inspired you? Oh, yeah. Um, I think the biggest, I guess, spiritual inspiration, if that's a phrase to use, uh, was um, the film Hella High Water with uh, okay. Chris, Pine, Chris Pine, Ben Foster, um, and... Uh, not Bo, uh, Jeff Bridges and uh, Gil Birmingham. Uh, that movie had a profound effect on me when I first saw it. Um, I initially went to see it um, because it looked, you know, the advertisements and the trailer looked cool. Um, but once I went and saw it, it's an incredible essay or, or treatise on poverty in America. You know, Chris Pine, had, anybody who hadn't seen the film, Toward the end of the film, Chris Pine has this incredibly powerful monologue about how being poor is like a disease, and mm-hmm. it goes from generation to generation. And um, it's an incredible scene, but that, the way he delivers that monologue, he has just the right amount of wistfulness and regret, but also self-reflection. And I grew up really poor, really, really poor. I didn't, we didn't have indoor plumbing until I was like sixteen, so. Okay. I've ne- it's very few films that are able to distill what that feels like. And, um, you know, Taylor Sheridan, who's one of my favorite uh, screenwriters, um, he was able to and I don't know his background or anything, but he was really able to give that feeling a voice. In, and of course, Chris Pine's incredible delivery. And so leaving that film, I was inspired. I really wanted to write something that talked about 
class and poverty, but also about race mm-hmm. in a way that was similar to uh, Hella High Water. And then there's other films. I grew up, <laughs> I grew up on the uh, CBS Saturday Night movie. And so there was a lot of times that we would sit down <laughs> and my uncle and my grandfather and would sit there and watch like White Lightning and Gator and Moon Runners and Dirty, uh, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, uh, Boxcar Bertha, you know, just on and on and on. The, the, some people call it redneck noir. I prefer, I prefer calling it a rural B movie noir, but whatever you call it, it those films in the seventies, I think it was a, <laughs> I think it was a lot of movie producers found a good excuse to just crash a lot of cars, but it was like a subgenre for a long time. And then even the characters were usually, you know, um, um white men. I understood it because it, I was raised and I grew up in southeastern Virginia, which is a you know just rural as rural can be. And so the the, the themes and the scene and some of the scenery in those movies were reflective of of my upbringing. So yeah, so definitely uh, you know the rural noir movies were, were a big big influence on my work. Very cool. Now I have to go look all these up, <laughs> except. Yeah, I have seen that one. I I tell you, I give you. Oh God, isn't it great? It's just amazing. It's just incredible. Every there's not a there's not a a wrong move in that movie, you know. And and I think Chris Pine really didn't get enough credit. I was hoping he get an Oscar nomination because I thought he did an playing Toby playing. You know the the small town pretty boy going to seed is is Mm -hmm. really. You know, Ben Foster is a flashier role because he's the benevolent sociopath, but that pathos and 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 just sense of loss that Chris Pine brought to it was incredible. But uh, yeah, Moonrunners, a little piece of trivia. Moonrunners is a film that was made in the mid seventies, and Robert Mitchum's son is the lead in it, and okay. it was actually the basis. Yeah, he and it was actually the basis for the Deuce of Hazard. The Deuce of Hazard is based. Basically, Moon Runners turned into a comedy. So anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. So oh, finally saw Thunder Road recently. Yes, the Robert Mitchum one. Yeah, that was so yes. good. Yes. Yeah. That's really inc- good I love that movie. That's a, yeah. Yes. Uh, Robert Mitchum. He's one of those guys that he could play. You know, he could play a northeastern, you know, city thug, and he could play, <laughs> you know, a backwoods sociopath preacher. Or he could pay, play, you know, a, a psychotic ex-con from North Carolina and Cape Fear. So he he had incredible range when it came to playing sociopaths. So very true. Yeah, he's always been one of my favorites. Well, I want to say congratulations on Blacktop Wasteland. I'm so looking forward to it, and I keep seeing a lot of comparisons to Hell or High Water and Drive. <laughs> I, and I think it's not like? as connected. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, um. I, oh no, I was gonna say I think because I love Drive too. Drive is one of my one of a favorite film of mine as well, and uh, I think Ryan Gosling's character in Drive. Also a bit of an inspiration for the main character in Black Tie Wasteland, Bug. You know, he's very quiet, but he's seething with rage. And, you know, we don't get any backstory to why Ryan Gosling's character is like that. So I gave Bug a backstory. I gave him, hopefully some people will understand where, where he comes from and, and why he behaves the way he does. But I, I did love the, the, the incredible professionalism that Ryan Gosling character has in Drive. He's 
Ozark Motors. And I, I really wanted to carry that over into a, a, a book of my own. Very cool. Have you seen the Ryan O'Neill, the driver? Yes. 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 I guess I love those those mid 70s to late 60s movies where it was like, let's just get a bunch of cars and crash them. <laughs> let's just jump them over bridges, <laughs> run them into mountains and chase trains. It's, you know, there's, you know, and and and, and Ryan O'Neill's movie is less it's action, but it's more of, of a character study. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to a movie like The Stunt Man, which is like, let's just blow up as many cars as possible. <laughs> so. Very true. Well, I know sometimes writers imagine actors in the characters they're writing. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you yeah. to, like to see in an adaptation of either this novel or My Darkest Prayer? <sighs> okay, so when I wrote My Darkest Prayer, I had a couple of people in mind as far as like just mental templates. I write very cinematically. So I, I kind of see the action in my mind. And so I do like to focus on somebody, either just create an image in my mind or a face in my mind or, you know, a popular actor or actress. And originally I saw Nathan as the rock. You know, a biracial man, a big dude can handle himself in a fight. But I tell you what, as the years have passed, I lean more toward Jason Momoa, like a, a more a more laid back version of of, of the character, mm-hmm. um, but still can radiate a certain amount of menace. And so, um, but I'll tell you, yes. the one that sticks out to me is uh, the the I don't call him the sidekick, but in My Darkest Prayer, uh, Nathan has a partner, his his own benevolent sociopath named Skunk. And I've always seen, um, and I believe the actor's name is Ryan, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, the guy that played Opie in uh, Sons of Anarchy. And I cannot think of his man, that Ryan man's name. Hurst? Gosh darn it. Is it Ryan yes, Hurst? I've, I, yes. He was the Hurst. Yes, Ryan Hurst. He was the template for Skunk when I created the character. And oh, so Hurst. I would love to see him play that character on screen. We we just sold the movie rights to Blacktop Wasteland about two months ago. And so... Wow. Um, so, yeah. And so uh, to a company called Picture Start and um, they are uh, some folks that uh, were uh, affiliated with uh, Lionsgate at one time. And so they're very excited about the movie. And we thrown some names around. But one name that uh, when I was writing the character, I kind of envisioned him as Idris Elba. Like when I was writing Bug, the main character. But as, as time went on, I've really leaned toward and just I don't know what it is about him. I've leaned toward uh, Winston Duke. Like I can really see Winston Duke as the character. And uh, I will say when I wrote the book, there's a character named Kelvin in Blacktop Wasteland that was specifically inspired by Lakeith Stansfield, like even right down to maybe like his mannerisms and stuff. And so I would love to see him play that character. And then the bad guy or the one of the there's two antagonists, a main antagonist, a secondary antagonist. Um, There's a guy named Ronnie Sessions. Who is Bugs? The, the plot of Blacktop Wasteland is Bug Montage is a former getaway driver who got up the life, settled down with his wife and his two sons. He has a daughter from a previous relationship, and he opens a garage in his small hometown of Red Hill, Virginia. And uh, when we open the book, things are going bad financially for him. And so there's a new garage that's open up in town with state-of-the-art equipment. So they're taking some of the business. His mother is very ill and she's about to get kicked out of her nursing home. 
partly because of financial reasons, partly because she's kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> his uh, child, his daughter from a previous relationship, she uh, just graduated from high school and she wants to go to college, but she doesn't have enough money. You know, his wife and his two sons, they have, you know, Nene braces and glasses. And his wife wants, you know, one day to live in a house that's not on wheels. That's not a trailer. And so he's got all these uh, financial issues. And he also has a lot of psychological damage from losing his father. His father didn't die, but he disappeared when he was a young man. And so his father used to be a getaway driver. He taught him about cars and about engines and, and all that. And so um, what happens with the book opens a former uh, associate of his, a uh, good old boy named Ronnie Sessions, who's fresh out of jail, comes to bug with a can't miss jewelry heist. And he just needs to drive in and out five minutes, $80,000 of split four ways. Or each person would get $80,000. And so, you know, of course, you know, I use the cliche, the one last job and all hell breaks loose. And some of it's out of both hands and some of it's because, you know, Ronnie and his brother Reggie and their other associate, Quan are idiots. And so, <laughs> and so um, I thought of Reggie's character. I always thought of um, uh, Timothy Oliphant from Justified. Oh, uh, love him as Reggie, but really like like you know really redneck him up, you know, give him a nice goatee <laughs> and uh, some greasy slick back hair. And the character Reggie has a full tattoo sleeve of Elvis um, tattoos, and it starts with old Elvis and goes down to young Elvis. And <laughs> so I could I would love to see uh, Timothy Oliphant as Reggie, but the main antagonist is a uh, is a hillbilly uh, crime boss named. Uh, Lazy Lazarus, lazy, and it was Walter Groggins in my mind the whole time I was writing it. I would love to see Walter Groggins play his character. So, oh, yeah. those, those are some of the actors that have kind of popped in my head. Well, you have excellent taste. I love all of the people you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> so, keeping my fingers crossed. Yes, <laughs> <Definitely>. please. <laughs> yes. Well, what can you also tell us? Like, what is dating process like? Like, because you wrote two in, were these just a few years apart? Yeah, um, I wrote Darkest Prayer in the fall of 2017, and then I didn't, I sold it in the fall of the summer of 2018. And then okay. I wrote, I jumped right into Blacktop Wasteland right after Darkest Prayer and uh, ended up selling that. I sold uh, Darkest Prayer to a small independent uh, publisher named, called Entry Publishing, really great folks out of Maryland, Virginia. Um, and then in support of that book, I saved my pennies and went to uh, BoucherCon in 2018, the International Mystery Convention. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I was down there, I, uh, I met my agent, or he was my agent at the time, I met an agent named Josh Gessler. And I was on a panel that... Uh, was talking about Southern crime fiction. My friend Eric Pruitt got me on this panel. He's like, hey, come, you know, come talk with us. Excuse me. He's like, come talk with us. And I was like, well, my book's not even out yet because my book wasn't out yet. And Eric mm -hmm. being Eric, he was like, I don't care. Come on, let's go. So we did the panel. And after the panel, <laughs> one of the people got up and said, well, I don't have a, I don't have a question. I have a comment. And I was like, whoo, here we go. And, yeah. <laughs> and so she, this, this lady, this lady basically to pair to pair I've told the story so many times. She kind of insinuated that she missed the uh, the antebellum South in that time period, and I oh, gave her kind yeah. of a smart Alec response back. And I said, uh, I said, I know you missed it. This is hard. I said, you know, you may feel like you're going to become the mi minority, so I'm going to help you with that. 
You know, my people been dealing with it for 400 years. So you and I are going to get through this together. And everybody kind of laughed. And um, <laughs> and so Josh Gessler approached me after that. And he's like, I'm an agent. I'd love to see something you're working on. And that was Blacktop Wasteland. Um, but basically, my writing process is I usually take anywhere from six to nine months to finish a first draft. Um, okay. Some people are pantsers and, and some people are uh, plotters. I'm more of a hybrid in between. What I like okay. to do is I, I like to write myself. I like to write myself a synopsis and it can be anywhere from two to three pages. But I have to be able to visualize how the story might end. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to end that way. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't I don't like just starting blind and writing something and just see what I like to have some kind of cursory roadmap. Um, and I don't have to stick to it, but I just kind of got to get in the rhythm of the story. And so I'll write myself a long synopsis and beginning, middle, and end. And then once I start writing the actual book, I don't necessarily follow that synopsis, but it kind of gives me a roadmap to find my way through. So, and then uh, usually after the first draft is written, I, my, my old process was I would take like two or three months to edit it or send it out for independent editing. But mm. now that I'm with Flatiron, I finished my most recent book for them. I was already writing uh, my next book, when Blacktop sold. So I've been nonstop writing for like four years. So <laughs> I'm hoping to take a break wow. soon. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're working too hard, Sean. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping sometimes for the end of the year to like not write from like Thanksgiving until Christmas and just kind of catch up on my reading. My, my to be read pile is about to turn fall over like the Tower of Pisa. So. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if you were going to recommend a handful of books to someone just starting to get into crime fiction, what books would you recommend? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Um, I would say start, well, let's start with that are sort of iconic in crime fiction. Anything by Elmore Leonard. Anything by Elmore Leonard. Doesn't matter whether it's a Western or one of his, you know, the Hot Kid trilogy or his mid-70s down and dirty crime novels. Although I'm partial to uh, Ryan's Rules, also known as Swag. Um, it's oh, just such a tight a little book. One. Yes, I love that book. And it's it's so propulsive. I love, you know, of course, you know, everybody says this and everybody's right. He's the master of dialogue. You know, mm-hmm. nobody writes the way people talk quite like Elmore Leonard. Um, so anything by him, but you know, you couldn't hurt you. You wouldn't hurt yourself to start with swag. Um, I would say uh, probably "Farewell, My Lovely" by Raymond Chandler, um, yeah. or something by uh, maybe like something by Ross McDonald, like "The Chill," uh, mm-hmm. um, or um, something like that, "The Drowning Pool." Uh, then for a little more modern taste, you've got to have Howard. Uh, you got to have Walter Mosley. Um, Devil yeah. in a Blue Dress is my favorite, but any of the Easy Roller novels are amazing. And then for a little, little bit of modern, more modern flavor, Dennis O'Hane's Darkness Take My Hand. Darkness Take My Hand is one of the great modern neo-noir novels. It really is. It it has such a sense of nihilism, but also a sense of hope. It's, it's an incredible achievement. And it's the high bar that a lot of writers, including myself, are aiming for. And then to just change it up a little bit, throw them. Um, uh, Daniel Woodrell in there, Winter's Bone, or, or uh, some of um, the work of William Gay. Although William Gay isn't truly a crime writer, he's more of a Southern writer with crime overtones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, just to 
kind of bring it all home. Any, I would say two books by uh, the late Ernest J. Gaines, uh, Lesson Before Dying and The Gathering of Old Men. Uh, both of those are African-American centered rural, noir, rural country stories that have elements of crime, literary fiction, but also are incredibly beautiful and moving. And so I think if you kind of gave yourself that self-education, that would give you a really great foundation for uh, reading and writing crime fiction. Very cool. I'm going to make a list of some of these because they sound unbelievably good. I've read a few, but yeah. I'll definitely need to check out the rest of those. Do you write with music? And if yes. so, what do you like to listen to? <laughs> you do? Okay, cool. <laughs> I actually, I, I, I prefer writing with music, if at all possible. And I like to I like to temper my music to the scene I'm writing. Like, if I'm writing a fight scene, I'll either listen to, like, something real hardcore, like real hardcore hip-hop or rock, or, like, a really like just slinky, nasty blues song. If I'm writing more like quiet, like, like I have a, I have a Spotify list that I made for Blacktop Wasteland. And so, you know, it's everything on there from Steve Ray Vaughan, you know, uh, C. Ray Vaughan, uh, The Sky's Crying, to um, the Almond Brothers, Whipping Post, to, um, you know, Buddy Lee, Buddy Guy, Damn Right I Got the Blues. But then it's like, I'll throw like some hardcore Bhutan clan on there or, some really like hard rock, like uh, <laughs> mud, mud vein or something like that. But then also like for the quieter moments, I'll, you know, have like some R&B standards, uh, you know, Al Green or even like some Frank Sinatra, you know, or, or something like that. So I definitely have different moods and different musical moods to the different scenes in my books. Cool. Well, this is a good getting to know you question. So, Sean, what are some of your favorite <laughs> movies? Oh, oh, my gosh. You got all day. Um, <laughs> let me see. Let's see. I'll give you my top 10 of all okay. time. All right. Um, number one, The Maltese Falcon. Oh, John yeah. Houston's great movie with Humphrey Bogard. Um, number two, The Color Purple. Uh, just oh, a sweeping, operatic, uh, almost Shakespearean story of one woman's journey from victim to Victor, it's just incredible, and it's also it's also moving to me because again, I grew up in the South. I grew up really poor, so where I grew up, it was almost like we were in a time capsule. So I was closer to the, the people in Color Purple than I was to say people in Men's Society. If using those as two sure. ends of the spectrum, you know, and so I definitely understood and appreciated, and were, were you know were touched by. A color purple. Like a friend of mine said, we watched The Color Purple. It wasn't a movie. That was a documentary for us. So uh, <laughs> let's see. So Color Purple. I know he's problematic as hell, but I I, I cannot not, not talk about Quentin Tarantino. Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs are tied for third. Um, to me, those are his best films. You know, uh, I, I will defend Reservoir Dogs. A lot of people talk about the language of Reservoir Dogs. I'm a firm believer that the way Quentin Tarantino had his characters, uh, you know, the white men talk about women and minorities is the way a lot of people do. They just and I think it touched a nerve with people because they didn't want to admit it. Um, although I will say as years have passed, 
As I wish there was an after scene in Pulp Fiction where Jules, on his way out of town, stopped by Jimmy's house and punches him in the face when he answers the door. Yes. Don't you ever say that in front of me again. I, <laughs> I would love, oh my God, that would that would have made that would make that movie so perfect. If you just they all the credits roll and it's Jimmy in his ratty, goofy bathrobe and he opens the door and his jewels and he he's not wearing a suit he's he's like got on like you know very casual clothes and he just clocks him in the mouth <laughs> and like and then he look at him like walk away muttering don't you ever talk to me like that again mother you know so and so yeah so those tied those tied for third um fourth would be that's a tough one i think silence of the lambs um okay. just because it's just it's such a great grand gunal type of modern it's a horror mom movie it's a horror movie masquerading as a psychological thriller you know and and you know Hannibal Lecter is a non vampiric Dracula that you know he sucks the soul out of you instead of blood and That's so great, uh, I just the movie I, I, <laughs> yeah. it's one of the movies if it's ever on I just stop and watch it I, I cannot stop. I, I have to watch it if it's on TV. So number five would probably be <laughs> this is this isn't because it's a great movie. I just have a lot of good memories about it. Um, the Lost Boys. I just love that movie. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, <laughs> it reminds me. Of, it's, just, it's just such a microcosm of me. What, what I wanted to be when I was twelve years old. I wanted to fight vampires, and so it's like, <laughs> to actually see on screen, it's it's remarkable. It's just, it's just such a fun movie, but also suspenseful. It's Almost like what a little kid's idea of fighting vampires would be on the big screen. And Kiefer Sutherland is so cool in that movie. I mean, he's just dripping charisma. It's just a wonderful (laughs) film. Number number six, I think, would have to be. um, And it's an older movie, but the movie called there's a movie called The Last Detail with Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. And he plays a, a military yeah, he plays a, a military, uh, a navy, a man in the navy who's escorting a guy cross country. He's gotten in trouble in the navy, and it's just, it's just such a quintessential Jack Nicholson movie. He gets a lot of, a lot of people get a lot of uh, mileage out of five pieces, as they should, and one flew the cuckoo's nest. But it's something about the last detail where he's not Jack Nicholson. You know, he's actually. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Chinatown too, but I don't know. I guess that movie just has a whole uh, special place in my heart. And uh, my grandfather and I watched it. It was uh, on uh, like a one of like I said, those Saturday night movies, CBS Saturday night movie uh, pr- presentation. So I love that movie. And this one is number seven. Is another one that has, I don't know if people consider it a classic, but I loved it. The World According to Garp. Uh, oh yeah. I love John Irving's books, and uh, I got to see that movie. In uh, what I guess you would call an art house. <laughs> when I was in the uh, when I was in the eighth grade, we took a field trip from Virginia to Philadelphia. And at one point during the day, they just let us again. Growing up in the 80s, totally different. They just let us go like, yeah. all right, <laughs> see y'all when y'all get back to the hotel. And so uh, me and a friend to this, uh, this movie theater and they were playing the world according to Garp. And it was just it, it sent me on, on a, a search for John Irving's books. I, and I've become a huge fan of his work ever since. But I don't know. It's just something about that movie. It's tragic and funny. And it had a sort of magic realism to it. Yeah. Uh, and it's, like I said, it always holds a special place in my heart. I love that film. Um, I think if we're talking about my favorite movies as opposed to the movies I think are the best. And I think that's what this this uh yeah. list is kind of shaped to be. <laughs> Number eight would have to be uh 
Number eight would have to be Uptown Saturday Night with, uh, unfortunately, oh, yeah. Bill Cosby and <laughs> Sidney Poitier. That was one of the first movies I saw as a kid where, for me personally, it was one of the first movies I saw where black people weren't suffering. There wasn't like this poverty pornography, if mm-hmm. so to speak. It was just these two guys and got caught up in this wild, crazy scheme. It was very screwball comedy, but also very real in a way. And it has such a great energy to it. It's just these two guys. They're just trying to get done with this crazy adventure so they can take their wives out of dinner. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it has such manic energy in it. And I, again, it's attached to the memories. Uh, it was, it's my dad's favorite movie. So this is oh. one of mine. Um, my, my, and my dad loves it. Um, I think number nine. Hmm. That's a tough one. It's getting tougher as you get closer to trying to round out the list. I, I think... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> mm, I'm going to cheat and put I'm just going to throw two at the same time because sure. I love Jack Nicholson so uh, a few good men and the departed I think oh, yeah. <laughs> so great ones have, and everybody talks about Jack Nicholson's scene on the on of course because it's so powerful the scene on the uh, on, on the stand you know you can't handle the truth but all through that movie he's just this force of nature this 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 bulwark against change mm-hmm. and he's so self-assured in his rightness not that he's a that he's correct but he's right and those things are sometimes two different things and um you know the departed is just you know fantastic it's just you know i think number 10 i'm gonna cheat again i'm gonna add i'm gonna i'm gonna do <laughs> i'm gonna use i'm gonna use like three and number 10 and that's sure. cheating but um <laughs> I think number 10 would have to be Goodfellas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, got to put Goodfellas on there. I think number 10 would be Goodfellas. And also, because I'm cheating a little bit, um, (laughs) (laughs) Boys in the Hood. Goodfellas, Boys in the Hood, and Hell High Water. I think that, and I think I picked those three because they're all crime movies in different parts of the country, but they have an overarching theme of desperation. And I think. And I think desperation, it, wanting to be something like Henry Hill, wanting to get somewhere like uh, Trey in Boys in the Hood, or just want to be able to pay your bills like Toby and Tanner and Hello How They're they're all connected in that way. That, and I, I believe I firmly believe crime. Ninety nine percent of crime is dri- is driven by desperation. You know, people aren't you know they're ma- not master criminals. They're not the Riddler and the Joker. They're people <laughs> that you know you to your limit. So that's my top 15 slash 10 list (laughs) i think you have excellent taste there a lot of great movies oh my gosh and i love the idea of you know jules coming back and clocking jimmy that's a good one i can see it like right before he's gonna be kane and kung fu like he's about to go on his quest yeah like one thing he needs to do is just go punch out jimmy and then yes I love that. that would be it. Yep. Like that's all I needed to do. <laughs> exactly. That's my last thing as a gangster. I'm gonna yep. want it Earth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I used to know that. I used to know. I used to know the uh, the diner speech by heart. I, I, oh, I, I mean, know. just oh gosh, Samuel Jackson's delivery in that you know it's just so powerful when he tells tim roth you know i'm trying real hard to be the shepherd it's like it's like he's gonna blow his head off he's gonna do it yeah no 
Yeah, that was terrifying. I remember, of course, this is going to age me, but I actually left Catholic school with my friend and we went to see Pulp Fiction opening day. <laughs> so eighth grade, they didn't wow. card back then. It was like, whatever, you guys are in seventh or eighth grade. Like, okay, go on in. <laughs> and my friend the whole time, like, jaw was on the floor i'm like loving it yeah <laughs> but oh, yeah it's, it's incredible his i mean like i said he's 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 problematic yes. but man his his dialogue he writes monologues i think better than anybody else you know mm-hmm. whether it's the watch or the shepherd monologue or god even the um the david carradine superman clark Kent monologue and kill bill oh, yeah. volume two he delivers it with such sincerity and sophistication. And you feel like you're in a college class, listen to a PhD dissect human identity. And it's so good. And he, you know, and that's, you know, that's his thing. I mean, yeah, like I said, he can be a, a bit of a, a problem, but yeah. <laughs> he, man, he's one of the great monologists uh, or write, monologue writers of all time. Yeah, you mentioned Reservoir Dogs, and one of my favorite sequences is when Tim Roth is having to learn that story to go undercover. Like, he's trying to watch The Lost Boys, tying it in with your top Mm. ten. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Love that movie. Oh, my God. Oh, man, I heard a a podcast recently with uh, Michael Masson. He was just talking about his career, Uh and he was talking about filming Reservoir Dogs and how, you know, he... He wanted to be Mr. Uh, Mr. White, and he didn't get the job. And so he was talking about, I think he said something about how he funneled that anger into Mr. Blonde. <laughs> and so that's why Blonde is so, so menacing. So mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> he wanted that uh, Harvey Keitel role. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, have you been watching anything <laughs> lately that you would recommend? Like, I don't know what you've been watching lately. Oh, gosh. Uh, I think... Let's see. I saw. I've been watching a lot of stuff on VOD, obviously, since movie theaters are closed. Yeah. Um, I'm a big horror fan. Um, there's a low budget film, uh, called The Monster Project. So okay. like the Blair Witch Project, and, and it's really interesting. It's about these guys that they do pranks and they decide to advertise on online to do a monster project. So they advertise for a vampire, a skinwalker, werewolf, uh, a possessed person, and um, they all go to this like haunted house. And it, it's it has a little bit of a weak ending, but man, the first like six fifty minutes are great. They're really oh, wow. intense. And I'm really curious. I'd love to find out more about it because the special effects for a low budget found footage handheld camera movie are amazing. Special effects are incredible. It's hard to stick to the landing, I yeah. think, especially when you have such a great setup and, and everything. There are sequences in that book, in that movie. And, you know, I've been a horror movie fan for a long time, and I don't flinch much anymore. <laughs> you know, I, I sat through Cannibal Holocaust, you know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm an old school dude, so like, I had uh, VHS copies of like, you know, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Burnt Offerings when I was a kid. So, mm-hmm. um, but there was a few sequences in the Monster Project that made me flinch a little bit. It's very yeah. good, very well done. Like I said, yeah, it's on uh, YouTube and I think on uh, Shutter and other VOD platforms. That was really good. Um, 
I recently watched uh, the last movie. I'll tell you a movie that I saw in theaters that I don't think I'd respect or deserve. And I don't eh, kind of know why. But um, The Kitchen. I like The Kitchen. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Um, Melissa McCarthy, Elizabeth Moss, um, uh, and uh, the other young lady. I can't think of her name right now. Um, Tiffany Haddish. Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's okay in the movie, but really, Melissa. Melissa McCarthy is really good. Again, a movie that I think didn't stick the landing, but mm-hmm. the setup and then everything is great. I'll tell you a movie that did stick the landing, another film with Elizabeth Moss. The Invisible Man is incredible. Oh my God, that movie is terrifying, but in a good way. And she's she's currently my favorite actress. She's yeah. incredible. I, I, I watched uh, uh, last year, I saw her film, Her Smell, uh, about oh, yeah. the, she's a former, yeah, she's incredible. Yeah. She's, she's my new uh, celebrity crush. I love Elizabeth Moss. So, <laughs> she's so good. Um, yeah. Th- yeah, she's incredible. I, I saw Shirley uh, recently. That was really good. It has a very uh, ephemeral kind of tone to it. Again, it's sort of magic realism uh, sensibility to it. And uh, let's see what else. Recently, let's see. Most recent thing. We have a good crime movie I saw recently. Um. I saw 23, 21 Bridges, but eh, yeah. I didn't hate it, but I didn't yeah. love it. It was like, yeah. you know, it was a couple things in there. Like, as a writer, I'm watching it and I'm like, I can never get away with that. My editor would take that right out. Um, it's like, how you did that? Um, but I'll tell you a low budget uh, crime movie that uh, I like that you go in knowing it's not a great piece of cinema, but it's, it, it, it does really well with what it has is not the heist movie with Gene Hackman. There's a heist movie with, um, with uh, uh, oh God, I'm terrible with names. The guy that plays Negan on uh, Walking Dead, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Okay. And it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a movie called Heist, and he's he plays in a, a kind of... Uh, De Niro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, I like that movie. It, it, it's... You know, it's not great cinema. It's not high art, but it's it's trying really hard, and they do a lot with what they have. They really do, and and, uh, and Jeffrey Morgan gives a great performance. It's a really tense uh, moment. They're on a bus, and they're surrounded by the police, and there's a lot of tension and action in the movie. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Like I caught it one night on a uh, on basic cable, and it was really enjoyable. So those are movies I've seen recently that I really really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to tell me about your book and all these movies. You have excellent taste. It was really fun talking to you, Sean. Oh, well, thank you so much. I could go on all day. I love books and I love movies. I'm I'm sort of a movie geek and a book nerd, so I try to combine both of those passions together as often as I can. So I'd love to come back, please, and, and thank you for having me. Oh, anytime. You're Thank you again. Thank you so much. (laughs) You take take care. care. This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com or filmintuition on social media and letterboxed. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends.